Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? Ben, it is another one of those weeks where everything and everything is just converging and convening at once. Um, more importantly, the NBA playoffs are about to pick up, and the 76ers have given us very little reason to be excited or encouraged about the postseason. I feel like we're just not even surprised at this point because we as Sixers fans have just grown to uh, continuously fall into this uh, limbo of semi-pretend competitiveness. And I feel like I'll never actually know what a real team is. And I can just yet again smell another second round exit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. If there's in the next like month or two, probably more likely in the next month, a really angry sounding me, it's probably going to be because the Sixers yeah. did something stupid and that's going to take a little while for me to get that washed off my brain because I, I like you, I feel it coming. It, it, I don't know if it's like a sixth sense that Sixers fans have. It's just like a tingle in my spine that something's not going to go right. Yeah, exactly. As uh, like they say in the new uh, uh, Spider-Man movie, you know how they have like the, what, what they said the quote is like a Peter Tingle, right? Did you ever watch right. the new Spider-Man movie? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's like we have the sixer sense, right? And that's what the, uh, and, and that's what I think we have uh, for this year. So, uh, and yes, by the way, that the Tingle is actually like a real quote from the movie, so I didn't spoil anything. <laughs> anyways, um, anyways, uh, Ben, uh, what was I didn't even check the the rates and reviews yet this week. How did we do? So no improvement on Apple, but we did get one on Spotify, Spotify inching two ahead in our uh, rating and review race. Um, do we do we need to incentivize people? I, we, we haven't had much increases lately. We I think we will find an incentive soon. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to work together. I'll talk to a few people, talk to my people. You talk to your people and then we'll all come together and, you know, uh, we'll do something special. Um, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something out. I, I think last time we had an incentive. I think this time we'll certainly have an incentive again. Don't know what that is, but uh, we will figure it out. But Ben, in terms of incentives for listening to this podcast, we do have some news um, that I just felt, you know, like, you know what? I'm not going to sit on this news until later in the week. I'll just put it on the podcast now so that everyone kind of gets an advanced scoop about what's going on. Um, you know, so if you listen to this podcast, you know, these are kind of the small tidbit wins you get from listening to the Blue Oval podcast. And I am, of course, talking about uh, a recent news that we learned uh, at the Blue Oval podcast that Josh Schumacher, the veteran uh, at Stanford, is going to be finishing out his eligibility as a graduate transfer at Notre Dame. Now, Ben, if you recall a few months back, when we found out that Schumacher was on the transfer portal, we both thought of suggestions as to where he could go. You gave a very nice suggestion of Florida State. Where did I suggest that he should go? And I didn't remember this, but you remind <laughs> you you kindly reminded me that you <laughs> suggested none other. But the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, which in retrospect makes perfect sense. Notre Dame has uh, has had a nice collection of grad transfers over the last few years, and he adds just another um, possible scoring piece. I think another wild card into this lineup that's going to be probably pretty young um, next year uh, after losing a few uh, of their veterans and bringing in some, a very good recruiting class. So. Really like the move for, I think, both sides. I think there's really good potential. And even if it doesn't work out great, it's no sweat off Notre Dame's back. Um, so I, I, I thought it was a very solid move for both parties. Yeah, I mean, that's why I originally suggested. I just think it was a perfect symbiosis of just, you know, Notre Dame needs some veteran experience, maybe a little bit to, of help on the back end or someone who can intermittently come in and out of that varsity lineup, offer a six or seventh score or you know, runner, I should say. Uh, within that varsity seven uh, Schumacher, meanwhile, still going to a very strong academic university um, and, and still kind of being able to kind of work with a lot of young runners, just like he has at Stanford. 
um, and yet contribute um, where the Irish have really found success in the longer distances. I don't know if Schumacher is even going to be in that top seven. He might not be, but he has at least shown glimpses and flashes of brilliance where I'm like, oh, there is still something there where he could be um, a really like underrated impact guy. And like you said, I think there's a lot of potential there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the talent is there. And, and so I, I, like I said, I think it's just a, a wild card um, for Notre Dame, which, which I think will be, could work out great, could work out whatever. And it, it shouldn't be a big deal either way, but that was an amazing transition that you had for that. I, I, I don't know if Thank I can. Replicate. I also, I, I also just want to shout out to, uh, to my brother, Brett, um, he also, we recently learned, just got into grad school at Notre Dame, his dream school wow. since he was like nine. So shout out to my brother, Brad. Yeah, we're now an Irish family now. So, um, but I mean, go Hokies. Like, I'm just, just going to say that. But uh, but now we have an actual rivalry because, you know, a little different. Fuck no, that's okay. As as the only Catholic that doesn't like Notre Dame football, I, I don't really know how to respond to that. But um, <laughs> good for him. Um, well. In terms of results from this past weekend, we saw some interesting races from Stanford, from Florida, from a few different meets across the country. So we'll run through those. Um, wasn't, I don't know, wasn't super overwhelmed with crazy performances. This is usually a pretty strong weekend. Um, Stanford normally pre- presents um, some really good results. Didn't see anything that was like mind blowing, but a lot of good results. Um, and we'll go through those in a second. But I did have a few questions from this weekend that we can run through to get us started. Yep. So first up, most surprising results. And we can start on the women's side here. Um, that's a great question. Um, I don't re- I don't really know if there was a ton of like surprising results on the women's side. I I think, and and this is going to be, I don't, this is kind of like maybe a cop-out answer. And even then, I don't know how surprising this actually was. But I think Natalie Cook and future Oklahoma State. That's runner, what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, like, like she's, I mean, she's not even in college. And yet, I'm still wondering, being like, ah, yeah, it was a high school national record. Yes, it was surprising that she ran it. But there was also a part of me deep down where I'm like, hmm. It's I if anyone was going to do it, I guess it makes sense that it was her, but uh, it's still like surprising nonetheless. Like a high school runner running 1525 is un like I mean that's unheard. It's a record. <laughs> like it's a national record. It's just unreal. I mean, she's now reaching the Caitlin Tuey, Mary Kane, Jenna Hutchins kind of ca- you know category. I mean, I don't know about Mary Kane, but I mean, she is I mean right up there with some all-time elites at least over the past two decades. Um, she's been incredible. And now Oklahoma state's future looks wildly different with this performance. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Oklahoma state's got to be kicking themselves to, to have her coming in. I mean, she was the beat all the collegiates and it was a solid collegiate field at Stanford. Um, very strong performance. I maybe going off on a little bit of a tangent, but when's the last time we saw a high school woman go pro that wasn't like a middle distance runner. Has that happened recently? Am, am I just not remembering something? But I, I can't think of anything. Obviously, I had Mary Kane, Alexa Ephraimson, both more 1,500 kind of runners. Caitlin, too, is probably the closest we got to somebody. But I, I can't even mm. think of anything. I mean, not to say that Cook is necessarily thinking that way. She drops 10, 15 seconds off of that, then we're talking. But... Like, I, I can't think of someone that was, like, this good in the longer events coming out of high school. Yeah, I uh, see. Yeah, that's that's a bit challenging. I think you could argue that Kane and Ephraimson, like, I know that they kind of built their reputations in the 1500. I feel like we're, like, just missing someone so blatantly obvious. And that's, that's going to bother me because I don't know who that would be. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure who that would be other than like, again, it depends on what you classify as Ephraimson right. um, and, and Kane, but like someone who's like purely a long distance, three K and up cross country runner, five K, etc. I don't know who that would 
be. And again, I, it might just be our lack of high school knowledge. Yeah. That that like is coming back to haunt us, but I don't think there is, right? I don't think there is. I, I mean, I feel like Caitlin Tui was the biggest star that we've seen in a right. long time. And I mean, obviously she never ran this fast in the 5K. So I it's something to keep an eye on. I don't I don't think that she'll go down that road unless she really right. improves. But I mean, the fact that we're even kind of talking about this just as a reflection of how fast she ran this past weekend. Um exactly. On the men's side, most surprising result. Uh, do you actually have someone for this? Because I'm still deciding between a few. Oh, actually, I take it back. I have one. Do you have one yet? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. In the 10K at Stanford? <laughs> Sorry. No. Oh, no. okay. Never mind. No, go ahead. No. So then what's yours? I, I Victor Kiprop running 28-15 and beating oh, Klinger no. and Nur. It's the, le- I, it's the least surprising result. Really? Beating them both. I don't necessarily think the time is super crazy, but I would have bet my entire life savings that Klinger and Nur would have that wouldn't have gotten beat by anybody. Okay, okay. So I think I'm not necessarily surprised by Kiprop. I think I'm more surprised by Nur, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would agree with you impartially that I think one of the most surprising results was seeing Abdi Nur of all people fall to third. So I would go there. Mine okay. Um, is Astonis Ruiz of Loyola Marymount running 837 in the steeplechase out of nowhere. I mean, there's not like a mark on his resume. That's even remotely close to an 837 steeplechase. I have zero clue what happened. I, I mean, this guy... I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's just that surprising. There was literally nothing on his resume that suggested he was going to come anywhere close to a national, a truly competitive national caliber time like that. And he was good. Like, he looked so poised. Like, I watched the race. He looked really poised. It was like a, a shocking breakout race. I just, I never, I haven't seen, it, it, you really only get one or two of those kind of performances every season. I think he was one of those two. I, I think that's fair. To put it in perspective, his 3K PR is 830. He yeah. opened his season in the steeplechase a few weeks ago with a 913 and took a whopping 39 seconds off that's of that time. <laughs> Which, or 36 seconds. That I mean, it's just, that's nuts. Like, to, to have that much of an improvement, I, I mean... He won his opener, and I, I'm going to guess he probably won it pretty convincingly in 9:13. Yeah, he won by 20 seconds. But still, to, to drop that much time is just insane. And, and like you said, this isn't just a good time. This is a time that just, that I mean, puts you in the, you probably should make NCAAs this year kind of like realm, yep. which is crazy for a complete unknown. Yeah, that was, I mean, I, I think the steeplechase, steeplechase does allow some like certain names to stand out who previously wouldn't be able to stand out in any other individual event. There's just something about the steeple that where some guys really thrive in it. Mm-hmm. But this is, this was unprecedented from, from Ruiz. And now it's like, I'm excited for him, but I also need to see more because like the only thing I have to say about him is that I didn't expect it. It's it's not like you look at someone like Stephen Jones and you're like, all right, well, right. you know, there's some good cross country, you know, background there. He's a little bit of consistency. There's there's other aspects of his resume that stand up. Ruiz, there is, I mean, this is so brand new that we really can't analyze him properly because we don't have anything else that's comparable on his resume. I agree. All right, we're gonna skip the next question I had because I think we just went over it. But most relevant result for NCAAs on the women's side? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be Chrissy Gear in her 414 mark for Arkansas. I mean, that is, um, she was second overall at the collegiate field in Stanford for 1,500 meters. Really, really encouraging. I mean, that 414 is, at this point in the year, really strong and she was clearly not at 100 percent during indoor season which is fine but she was still still running 436 and oh by the way she split 203 on the 800 meter leg of that title winning dmr 
And now she reminds me a lot of Whitney Orton. And I said this in our meet preview. I said, if she has a good, you know, good race here, she starts building up momentum and building up momentum and building up momentum. And then all of a sudden, she's not just reaching her peak. She's actually surpassing her peak by the postseason and probably one of the last few women who you ever want to race on the national stage. When she's, you know, approaching back to her top tier fitness, I think this 414 is a great, great, like, kind of reset starting point and a great launch path for her in a similar way that we've seen from maybe Whitney Orton uh, in 2021. Yeah, I, I really like that comparison. Um, Gear, obviously, super talented, had a great year last year. Um, and I think it seems like this is an indication that she's rounding back into form. I, I really liked Courtney Wayman's 412. I know that the time on itself isn't crazy, but I... I don't know. I felt like Wayman went through uh, not her best patch during the end of the indoor season. And just to see her win convincingly in the 15, which isn't her best event. I really like to see that. And hopefully that means we're going to see the peak form of Wayman in the steeplechase this year, because I, I want to see her at her t- at the top of her game and, and dominating that event like we thought she would last year. I'm going to partially agree, partially disagree with you. I, I agree with you that at least in the, like the mile, um, like she, or at least in some events that are maybe shorter than 5k, she yeah. wasn't like, she didn't, she looked like she was at 95%. She didn't look like she was at a hundred percent in those three K and shorter races. Like she ran a mile, ran 433, which is great, but it wasn't the 430 that we had seen from her the year prior. Right. In the 3K, she was um, excellent, still strong, top All-American finish, I think, I think a fourth-place finish maybe, fourth, fifth-place finish, something like that. And yet she kind of let you know couldn't really keep up towards the end, that last lap or two. Um, so I, I do think there's a little bit of refinement there, but I don't know if she was maybe like off per se. And I do think and agree with you that like, you know, this 412 kind of resets expectations and it kind of shows us like, oh, she still has good foot speed and turnover and all that jazz. I, I, I guess I'm just, I wasn't, I, I guess like I wasn't as surprised or as concerned about any of her performances this past winter as maybe some other people could have been. But even then, I just feel like we are really just like being really ticky tack with some of this analysis. <laughs> and, and that's, that's very fair. And, and- very true i just think that coming off of last year's performances i i think i maybe had unrealistically high expectations That's for Wayman, and okay. like i i thought that she would double and win both the 5k 3k and do it pretty convincingly and it, you could kind of see throughout the regular season that like you said that foot speed just wasn't quite where it was before um, and, and I, I'm hoping that this is an indication that it's on its way back. And like you said, these are fine, fine margins. She was really good at NCAAs, but I think she can t- go up even another level from that this outdoor season. I think we also have to include Lauren Gregory's yep. 32, what, 34. Now, because because that first one changes the entire landscape of what the 10K could be if she's going to be a contender in that event. Two, Ben, I got to brag on this podcast once. Now you get to brag. Why is this such an important result for you? For me, it was amazing because it was the best prediction I think I've ever had. <laughs> I, in our Stanford preview article, I said that she would win and run 32-35. She won and ran 32-34. And, and when I saw the result, I immediately messaged in our uh, Slack group and I was like, I've made a lot of bad predictions about this weekend, but I can hold, I can hang on to this Lauren Gregory result. Yeah, that was impressive. And this was full, you know, full admittance, hand up, not our greatest weekend in terms of predictions. No. It just wasn't like, we just really whiffed on a lot of these last weekend. I was actually like, Oh, you know what? Pretty solid. We actually did kind of well, not our best, but we did pretty well this weekend. It was not great partially because some athletes didn't run but also like we just did not we did not do a good job at all um but anyways that's uh that's a key result there lauren gregory in terms of the national picture though the 10k is kind of wide open i mean yep. like say what you want about chalanga 
but she isn't unbeatable, as we've clearly seen in the past. She's certainly a, an NCAA gold contender, but she's not unbeatable. And you've got like a few other women who are certainly and can be in the picture. But if Lauren Gregory's like, hey, I've been trying for years to get a national title and I've tried the 3K and I've tried the 5K. I don't know if she's tried the mile, but I've tried all these different events. Why not try the 10K? Because if she was that good in her debut, what can she do when she has a little more experience or understanding and given her veteran experience and tactical prowess, like I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm ready to say that she could be a natural title contender. Could be. I, I think she absolutely is. Like I think I, I'll, I'll say it right away. I mean, I, I think if she is strong enough to run this time, and, and that leads me to believe she'll be able to hang with almost any pace at nationals, unless Chalangot just goes really like quick at NCAA's. I, there are, isn't anybody that is going to run the 10K that I would pick over her for a sprint finish. Like, I, I think her kick is going to be probably the best in that field. And, and so I I think she's a top three contender today. Like, I, I, I don't need to see anything else really to, to say that, I think. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I didn't want to be overly aggressive with my prediction, but I think you're kind of right. So um, I will... I will give you that. All right. Most impactful NCAA result, um, at least on the, like the men's side, let's say. Okay. There's, there's a few contenders here. I, I think, <laughs> uh, I, I think Kiprop is probably yeah. number one with his 28, 15 to win the 10 K beating Klinger and Nur, like we mentioned earlier, but I just, I really liked Kai Robinson's 1323 just because I obviously it's not any faster really than what he did indoors. But I, I was I was thinking about this before we started. When did he become faster than Hicks and Sprout? Like when when did that when did that happen? And, and because like all cross country season it was Hicks and Sprout, and then Robinson comes out of kind of nowhere runs that really fast 5k at Washington indoors. And, and then from that point, it's just like, he's Stanford's top guy. And for him to be Stanford's top guy with Hicks and Sprout, who both are scorers at the national meet and him to be this, like maybe not this much better, but like convincingly better than both of these guys. I, I think he's the top contender to any non NAU 5k runner at this point. Yeah, it, it depends on, I think the answer to your question, when did he become better than Sprout and Hicks? I, I think it depends on your answer of like, how do you gauge his steeplechase performances right. last spring? And then also, how do you gauge his performances on the grass? Because he was not better than Hicks on the grass, for sure. He was Depending on depending on which meets you look yeah. at, it's 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 a little 50-50 with him and Sprout on the grass. But I think you're right. I think definitively it came in that Washington 5K. And from there it has never been the same. And he is now on a tear and a rate of momentum that is scary good. I would have loved to see Nico Young and Drew yep. Bosley in this race, specifically Nico Young. I think that would have been a really great rematch because I think that the the hectic and madness of the indoor national championships is not a, as as much of a mono mono matchup as right. maybe a race like this would have been. Um, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't change my opinion at all. I think like Robinson's like exactly who we thought he was, but I, I get what you're saying. I think there's certainly certainly something I, I guess symbolic about this race that's kind of like oh, is this the new normal? And more importantly, while, while you might be right about the 5K stuff, what does this maybe mean for his steeplechase hopes? Because he was an outstanding steeplechaser last spring, but if he's gotten this much better over the span of a year, then what, what does that mean for his steeplechase? Are we talking a sub 830? I, I like to think so. Absolutely. I mean, and then how, how deep into the 820s does he get? I mean, can Ed Trippus, uh, you know, replicate his success from last summer? A lot of questions, but I think things become very interesting in terms of Robinson being 
what might be, and you know, I'm not trying to put him ahead of like Brandon Miller or Abdi Nurgat, but in terms of value, in terms of what you were getting out of a singular distance runner, I don't know how many distance runners in the NCAA are like the NBA Bill Simmons trade column, yeah. the, the value rankings. How valuable is Kai Robinson? I think it it might might be up there one or like one or two. Wow. I was going to say top five, but one or one uh, or two, I, that's, that's even uh, what, better than I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. It's not Nur, right. In terms, in terms of value, again, everyone's going to like take a look at this and be like, Oh, well he's better than this and this. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, just in terms of what he brings in all three yeah. seasons and his versatility and how consistent and good he is. Okay. Maybe not top two, but maybe top three. Like, yeah, yeah I guess he's not better than like the goose and Nur, but like, I don't know. I just, I just don't know after that. So who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, this is all off the top of my head. I'm not trying to get. I like get it. I like trainers, it. No. Yeah. I, this is, I think this is we a need very to Bill do... Simmons-esque podcast. So we do need to do the value rankings at some point. I, I, I we've talked about this before, uh, but to shift the focus back to Kip Rop, outstanding result. And, and just, I, I think to answer the question that you started with, it just puts him at a level where he's now an all-American contender in a real way. Obviously running 28-15 is fast. I I wouldn't have been dis- surprised to see this whole field go 15-20 seconds faster, especially Nur. But for him to win, that is what elevates him in my mind so much higher against a really good field, against some really good finishers, and for him to put away Nur by two seconds it is just such an amazing result that I, I don't I don't feel like I, I've seen enough of him to be able to be like he's top three threat, pencil him Agreed. in. But I, I feel very comfortable saying all American almost lock at this point. Well he was really good in cross. And like yep. he was just he just didn't really have anything to dislike about him. He was just really solid across the board in every meet. And now he goes out there and gets like a really big statement marquee win. I think there's a lot to like about this. And I, well, look, I think Nur is the overwhelming 10K favorite, even after this loss. But in a year where I think before Nur's breakout, it seems kind of wide open in the 10K outside of maybe Nur. And and again, how well does Nur rebound from here? I don't know. I still like to think he's the favorite, but anything can happen is all I'm saying. Anything can happen. I really liked Casey Klinger's race uh, mm-hmm. in this, and this is something in our predictions that I did feel good about. I felt like Klinger was going to run really well in his 10K debut, and, and sure enough, running 28-16, he's another one where I I, I think he has ascended to All-American uh, contender, mm-hmm. but yep. his finishing speed leads me a little worried about how he's going to be able to finish at NCAAs, but I do feel good about him scoring. Yeah, I think NCAAs is going to be, I, I just, those 5K, 10Ks, they're just going to be aggressive. Like, you're going to yes. see Wild shoot in there. You know, Kip Rob's going to be in there. Nur's going to be in there. Um, you know, who's actually going to push the pace? I don't know, but, you know, I, I think they're... Um, well, maybe not. Um, I, see, here's the thing. And this is another this is another perk that you get from listening to the. Oh, here we go! I don't even know about this. I I actually didn't tell you this. I have a unverified, unconfirmed source. So this Kipju could run tomorrow, and I could be wrong. This is why I'm not reporting this yet on the site. But I have heard rumblings, rumblings that Kipju may no longer be in the NCAA anymore, and Kipju may actually be exploring a pro contract pro circuit i don't know this is i'm still working to confirm it i'm still reaching out to different sources this is unverified it's unconfirmed but that's why i haven't really mentioned kip too because it's unclear if he will be in the ncaa i have a pretty good source on this but i'm not i i, I always like to do my double checking i always like to, to come back on that so fyi nationals this year could could look a little bit different. Wow. That that's that's yeah. a, a big semi scoop right there. We can't we can't well we'll, we can't, we'll see. 
We'll see. Yeah, you know, exactly. Again, I just I just want to emphasize how like unconfirmed that is. So we will see. But that would be fascinating. Like you said, it, it would definitely change the complexion of how NCAA is just run in these longer right. distances. We've gotten so used to seeing that yellow jersey with gloves on uh, yeah. up front and that without Kip to there, things could be run a little bit differently, which will be interesting. Um, okay, let's move on to our last question here. Most underrated result of the weekend for the women underrated result um there's actually a lot of it it feels almost crazy to say this actually no i have to go to the 800 i was gonna say yes the 800 Nichols, yeah. but yeah the 800 i think you could pick pretty much gosh any of these women um i i think the melissa riggins victoria tachinsky and jenna Schwinghammer. i think that kind of group the where they all went you know riggins 203 tachinsky 204 Schwinghammer 204 you know, Riggins and Schwinghammer specifically, they're young, up-and-coming talents, you know, really solid, proving themselves in the middle distances. Uh, I think they just needed the right race. They weren't necessarily going to get that indoors. They have a lot of momentum from indoors. And then they come over here, and, and they really turn out some great times. I mean, 204, 203 is pretty cooking. Um, I think it's really great validation to my hunch, especially on Schwinghammer, that she's going to be a problem. Um I, I'm just really confident and I'm really excited about what they can do. I think these are two really good results. And I, I, I'm i hesitant about youngsters in the postseason. But I do think if they're able to build from here, you're probably looking at both of them going to the national meet. I did like the Riggins result a lot. I think Tachinsky has, as we, we've kind of seen this com- coming yeah. for her in a lot of ways. Um, but I thought Riggins is someone that flew under the radar a little bit, um, obviously during the indoor season, but even, even after this two Oh three, I mean, Barrett and Keegan stole the headlines with two Oh two and two three. These are women that, I mean, you wake up and you check your phone, you look at the results, yep. you put the phone back down, you go back to sleep. Like it, it's right. not surprising at all, but, but with Riggins, I, I think that is something that, like you said, elevates her to, a, a favorite to make NCAAs in a way that she just was not uh, even like a month or two ago. Um, so really good run from her. Um, we also should probably shout out some of the other 800 results uh, on the women's side. We saw um, Minigatti run 204, Thornton Bott 204, and Pelicaro 205. Really strong results um, at a couple different smaller meets. Solid times, and I think we're going to... I don't know if we're going to see any crazy fast times in the 800 on the women's side this year, like in terms of two flats, but I think we're just going to see like overwhelming depth in the mm-hmm. sub-205 region this year. Like There is going to be more women to run sub-205 than I think there ever has been before. Agreed. I, I think... See, the thing is with indoors in the mile... You know, there was a lot of, I think what a lot of people seem to forget is that the women's mile was really deep, right? Mm-hmm. And in the mile, you can translate that over to the 1500 during outdoors pretty easily, right? But during indoors, you can go up to the 3K just as easily as you can drop down to the 800. Right. The problem is that in outdoors, you can't exactly jump from the 15 to then the steeple or then 15 to then the 5K. But you can just drop down from the 1500 just as much into the 800. It's just as easily as you can during indoors. And I think that's going to contribute, like you said, to that incredible depth of 204s. Like there's just going to be a lot more women who are capable of running it. And there's not as many, there's not as much event versatility available for some of these women. You're either in the middle distances or you're either in the longer distances or you hop over hurdles, which is only a select group. And I, I think that kind of siphons women into a certain category. And I, I think you're going to see those 204s for that reason. I I completely agree. All right. Most underrated result on the men's side from this weekend. Um, Probably Lorenz Herman, Idaho. Yep. Yeah. That 147 was quick, but not only that, he beats a really good field. He beats Mohammed Mohammed. And yes, I did say that name correctly. Uh, who ran 148. Um, Elliot Cook, uh, also 148. Luis Peralta, not a great day for him. He faltered a little bit back into those results, but 
Um, like it's a really good field, and and you know, like he's he beat guys that like are proven talents, but who are also running pretty quick. You know, like Muhammad Muhammad and Elliot Cook, each running one forty eight. Those guys are cooking at that point, and like he he looks strong around the final curve. Um, I liked Herman. This was a big breakout race for him. There had been signs that he was like going to be like competitive, but I don't think we saw him beating this field. No, I, I mean, really good run from him. And I think puts him just on the national picture in a way, like we were saying with the women that he was not before. I, I mean, I had no idea who Lorenz Herman was coming into this weekend, but now he's someone that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on. He's, he started the season strong. He ran 347 to open the, the his outdoor season um, in the 1500. Had a had an okay uh, indoor season that saw him run, I think, 149 in the 800. But for him to come out, run 147, big PR for him, and like you said, beat a good field. And I think that's something that we don't necessarily talk enough about as a collective when we see these quicker times or big PRs we don't necessarily highlight the field that they're beating enough. And this, like you said, really talented field running quick times right behind them. And I I think we should also mention uh, Muhammad. He went from mid February to now he's gone 155 and then transitioned (laughs) to outdoors. He's gone 152 to 151 to 150 to 148. This guy's on fire. I mean, he is I mean, he is on a massive hot streak right now. Um, I hope it sustains for the rest of the season. But like that is like wild progression. Like just such a short amount of time. That is really fascinating. So watch out for Muhammad. That's gonna be that's gonna be interesting to see. I agree. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have. We can run through some of the other results that we saw this weekend. So we did just highlight the 800 um, a good bit with the men and women's side on the men's side in the 1500. Um, we saw Garrett McQuitty run 3:41, beating Elias Schrimmel um, at Stanford at Florida. We saw Nas SIE beat uh, Brandon Hans. Um, SIE running 3:40, Hans 3:41. Um, anything from? It wasn't a quick weekend for the 1500. And no. it's hard for me to get super excited about any of these results. No, I mean, quickly, just to want to touch on the 800 going back. Um, Sam Austin, 148 at Florida Relays, beating uh, Dujian uh, Blackman, who also ran 148. Ty- Tyrese Roden ran 148. And then also elsewhere, Colin Ebling and Liam Rivard each ran 148 as well. Um, did just want to shout them out real quick. 1500, no. Um, yeah, kind of unexciting. Garrett McQuitty's quietly really underrated and same thing with brandon hans like if you give them enough time you give them enough racing tools like they're pretty good uh, they're pretty good sae is like actually a really solid yep. win for him underrated talent underrated 340 there um but yeah i i don't really have a whole lot to pull from here i think this is exactly what you think it is so we mentioned the top two names at Stanford in the 1500 on the women's side, um, Wayman and Gear, but behind them was Christina Aragon, 415, Lauren Ellsworth, Abe Goldstein, and Kate Hunter all running 415 as well. Elsewhere, we saw Bailey Hertenstein uh, run 415 to beat Joyce Camelli, who ran the same 415 right behind her. Um, a lot of good marks for a lot of these women. But coming off of indoors, I think you could have penciled all of them in for these kind of times for the most part. There's all past you know, experience and suggestions that say that they were going to run this quick. Um, encouraging for Aragon um, and encouraging for Ellsworth. But it's it's still also very well within reason that they could have run that fast. This isn't even a, you know, close to a PR for Aragon. Um, so, you know, it's it's all very on par it, it matches expectations doesn't make it less impressive it's just on par uh on the men's side in the 5k at stanford we mentioned robinson hicks and sprout but andrew kent uh coming right behind him in 1328 michael power 1329 amon kemboy 1330 and isaac acres 1332 a little bit of an underwhelming result for kemboy after what he did at uh ncaa's indoors I would have thought that he might be able to really mix it up with the top uh, trio, 
Still not a bad race. 1330, you can never be upset about. But um, really good run from Andrew Kent. Um, the new Buffalo really um, kind of, I, I don't know if this is the best race of his life, but it, it feels like it's pretty close. I think it's probably the best race of his life. As for Ken Boy, I, and I, I will touch on Kent in a second here, but I, I'm also just not going to hold this to him. This feels like it was more of just a... I don't want to say a time. time trial setting, but yeah, it's more just like a get the time kind of setting. And I don't, this race was very different compared to kind of what you were, you would be expecting from the indoor national meet or what you right. saw from the international meet. So I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really looking too heavily into this. If you're in a fast time, great. Otherwise not concerned. Michael power, huge breakout race. That was mm-hmm. awesome. He had good times on his resume, like really solid nationally competitive times. Nothing along the lines of 1329 fast, but Andrew Kent, I've been such a big fan of his for a while. Like I, I think he is like the real deal. And he has had great consistency and amazing versatility and awesome experience. And he's had great progression and he's gotten better and he's found ways to be nationally competitive and he has good tactics. And yet he just didn't quite have that fitness to run like an elite level time. And now he ran 1328. And I'm really excited. I just really hope that he can mesh and merge the greatest aspects, the intangibles of his racing with that time and replicate it in the postseason. That's obviously the biggest gotcha kind of deal. But at least now we know that he can run with the top guys. And sometimes that's just half the battle. Yep, I agree. Uh, On the women's side, we mentioned in the 5K Natalie Cook, um, but we saw Abby Nichols run 1527, Lucy Jenks 1541, Kara Woolnow 1544, and Emily Venters 1547. Um, really good runs from all these ladies. I, I don't think any of these results come as big shocks. I think Nichols just continues cement, to cement herself as one of the best in the country in these longer distance races. Uh, I'm really interested to see if we could we could see a top three finish from her this mm-hmm. year at NCAA's. I would really I, I would really like that for her because I, I mean she's been so consistent over the years. Uh, but for the rest of the field, good runs, regional qualifiers check, uh, keep moving along. So two things here. Jenks, really encouraging, really impressive. I think she could be the future of Stanford distance running wow. yeah. for the next few years. Um, like I, that's a huge, huge, huge time. That's kind of acts as the churning point. Nichols quick question. She, historically a 10 K runner. Um, not that she hasn't run well in the five K, but a lot of success in the 10 K. What is more likely top eight in the five K top five of the 10 K this year for her top five in the 10 K. Okay. Yeah. There's more, more opportunity there. I think so, and I think this fifteen twenty seven shows that she she's ready to run a little bit more of a tactical ten k if needed, and still come out pretty fast, pretty good ahead. So that's a good question, though. Ten um, k on the men's side, we mentioned Kiprock, Klinger, and Nur, but Alex Meyer twenty eight eighteen continuing to build on his fantastic indoor season. Brandon Garnica twenty eight nineteen, Scott Beatty with the same time. Patrick Kiprock of Arkansas running 28-21. And James Mara just going out around Hayward Field, jogging solo, 28-29. I, I mean, yep. I I so enjoy looking at Mara's results from time to time. <laughs> like his T-first page is just such a, yeah. a, a fun walk to go down. Um, and, and I respect the heck out of him. I really hope that this is the year where he puts it together at NCAAs and has a really good national championship because the man has as much talent in his picky toe as most do in their entire body. And I would love to see that come to fruition with some points and an all American finish. I think in terms of like just pure raw unrefined talent, moral is probably a top three runner in this year's 10 K field. Yep. Just in terms of like pure, pure God-given talent, he's got to find like ways to like race tactically. Yes, um, he's he's he can do he can go and he's going to be a great marathoner. I said this in our first thoughts article. Oh, he could yeah. be a great, great marathoner. Same thing with Patrick Kiprop, who by the way is going to be like top ten at the NCAA XC Championships as well. Wow, 
I don't necessarily disagree, but mark that down. Put it down, and we will check back in in what? Seven months in November. Well, let's see how my rankings go, or our rankings, if I can convince enough of you to to join me in that uh, summer rankings thing. You will have to push me hard. Uh, depending on, I don't, I don't know result. if the preseason we would give him top ten. We, we, I could maybe you know fudge top twenty, but we'll we'll see what happens. So, wow, all right, I, I'm, a, I was already looking forward to the summer and talking to you <laughs> about all these things, but that that's another reason to to be even more excited on the women's side in the ten k. Um, we mentioned Gregory took home the win. Amelia Mazza Downey, thirty two fifty five. Emma Heckel thirty three oh five. Justin Hansen thirty three thirteen. Alejandra Upshot, 33-18, and Aubrey Frentaway, 33-18. Nothing like super fast outside of Gregory's time. I think Maza Downey, after what she did indoors, I think this is right in line with the 5Ks that she had run. Um, and, and just a Hanson, solid result. She's run faster before, but I, I think a good performance um, in her first outdoor 10K of the season. I have nothing to add here. Um... I, I think New Mexico is really, really good. And that's about the biggest takeaway um, I, I can say from here, other than the Lauren Gregory conversation that we already had. All right, let's wrap it up with the steeplechase on the men's side. Ryan Smeaton's ran or won this race uh, at Stanford in 834. We also saw Felix Candy, 837. We mentioned Estev- Estenez uh, Ruiz ran 837. Zach Listoff and Jake Mitchum also ran 837. And then Probably one of the more predictable results, Riley Oson running another good race, running 840 in the steeplechase. I think Smeaton solidifying his claim as one of the top contenders in the steeplechase, beating a strong field um, and, and running a, a pretty remarkably quick time this early in the season in the steeplechase. Robinson, Tripos, Smeaton, Baston. Who is your favorite right now? Jazeera. I'll go through uh, Jazeera as well. I would say my top two would be Robinson. And you, have to, you have you have to give me one. Uh, I'll, I'll go Robinson one, but I think Smeaton's like one B. Yeah, I I think I'm gonna go Smeaton right now. Um, but yeah, I I don't know if there's a good answer to that. I think those are those two are like far and away the the top two contenders. I know we saw. Oh, I don't know about far and away though. I I know we we liked what we saw from Baston and Wilkinson at Raleigh, but I I don't I don't see anybody. I, and maybe trip us if he can get back to where he was. Um, yeah, he probably has the most potential out of the rest of that group. But I, I think those two, Smeaton's consistency and, and, I mean, the way Robinson's improved, I, I think they have to be the top two. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think Bastion's a little underrated in that conversation. But, um, okay, sounds good. All right. Uh, women, we were wrapping up there? Yes. Uh, we saw Greta. Oh, boy, here we go. Kara <laughs> Naskate um, run... 951 in the steeple to win that. Um, elsewhere, we saw Carmen Riano run 957 to win at Stanford. Um, following her were Kayla Windemuller, 1002, Lexi Holiday, 1006, and Annie Boos running 1010. Um, a pretty big breakout performance for a few of these ladies. Um, Rihanna going under 10 uh, and running 957 to win this. Not necessarily against a loaded field, but a really good performance from her. Yeah, I mean, just a lot of these women like ran really, really solid performances. Um, you know, Rihanna, it's a bit of a breakout. Uh, Karen Oskate, I think this is a, and I'm sorry if I butchered that name, but, you know, I think California Baptist has been really mm-hmm. smart in just being like, we're going to bring in all these international athletes and maybe not all of them hit, but guess what? Just a few of them have to. And I think she's one of those athletes who was very clearly hitting. Um, that's a really fast time. 951 is like nothing to joke around about. And um, and I think like it just adds like another notch to the name of like, oh yeah, and we've developed this woman as well, who's also pretty decent, pretty underrated, nationally competitive, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, like they're still transitioning from D2 to D1, 
So if I'm not mistaken, then she will not be able to compete at the NCAA championships because they're still going through their transition period, which ends at the end of this year. So, so yeah, just next year they there. can. Right. Why, why do they have that rule? Have we talked about this? This, I have no idea why they have that rule. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if there's paperwork. I don't know if there's eligibility to file. I, I don't. I, I, I imagine it's a four-year process. This is me off the top of my head. I don't know this for a fact. I have zero clue. This is just me just thinking. But the D2 eligibility works a little differently than D1 in terms of when your clock starts and stops. Um, okay. I, I, I have to go back and double-check that. I, again, this part of the conversation everyone should disregard as actual fact until I actually have the notes in front of me. But I think there's a... a, a a difference there. Um, that's why I think Nikki Frangemeyer is able to go from Oregon back in 2014 and 2015 to CSU <laughs> Pueblo at like 27 years old. Um, it was it ran very well, by the way. And I, I think for that reason, um, you know, it's 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 uh, the goal of that is to maybe like push people out in terms of eligibility. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I still don't, don't like, I don't like the rule. And I know like Southern Indiana is, uh, is one team that's transitioning to D1, I think next year. And, and they're yeah. going to be dealing with that, which is unfortunate because I'm sure that's hard to recruit um, when you're like, look, we're D1 now, but if you do well, you can't even go to nationals or regionals or whatever. Yeah. So I would like to see that rule changed um i'd be curious to hear more about why that is the case um and and see if that's something that they're looking into changing at some point in the future yeah so we will see well ben uh, i'm gonna edit there um because i clearly just like to listen to myself talk we thought this was going to be a shorter episode um that's hysterical in retrospect um but doesn't even matter now so everyone thank you for listening uh thank you for tuning in please make sure to leave a rating and review Bendy, uh, did you have any final notes before we wanted to sign off? I did not. My notebook is all scratched out. We've covered everything. So until next week, Garrett, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you.